that the right use of our money in giving releases heavenly riches to us. It releases righteousness. It releases all kinds of grace. But also the, the right use of generous giving releases actual more resources, finance to us as well. So in that release of grace is included the multiplication and increase of our resources. I think I've established that. It's all over Scripture from my point of view. So as you give, you receive more back. That, that's in there, and I, I don't think I'm manipulating Scripture. I think we, there are, I can feel fear happening in the room as soon as we start to talk about this. And if you remember at the beginning, I was afraid to talk about it. I've kind of started to get, get over that. But people are afraid of the abuses of the prosperity gospel, and, and, and that, that, that has some reason but often inside something you don't like is something you need. And, and they did see something, they just didn't see the whole thing. And what they were saying is, if you give, God is going to bless you. He's going to multiply back to you. But it's not for the purpose of you just getting richer and richer. It's for the purpose of you increasing so that you can give. So the purpose of, it, there's a purpose to it which is not, just making me increase and increase. And it also became like a sign of your, your spirituality was how much money you had and what car you drove. And that's just all nonsense. Just, 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 that just got a bit crazy. But equally, the church has suffered, and I want to go after this this morning. We have really suffered from a poverty mindset. We've celebrated poverty. We've promoted poverty and it is to our detriment that we've done that. And I'll say a bit more of that later. So I think I've established that. Second thing I think I've established is that the tithe, that is the first 10% of everything you get, belongs to God. It's not an option, all right? It's actually his. It's not like we're sitting there going, maybe I'll give it and maybe I won't. It's actually he thinks it's his. And when you don't give it, he's disappointed because it's his. And, and therefore, it is there for us not to manipulate or do with how we will, but actually he's prescribed what to do with that, and that's to bring it into the storehouse, which is the church, for the support and release of ministry, the relief of the poor, and the advance of the kingdom through the agency of the local church. That is what the tithe in New Testament era is for. And uh, I think I've established that fairly thoroughly. And that you give, connected to that, you give first to where your spiritual input and life comes from. And, and we, we encourage you to do that into the storehouse of the church, but we also do that as a community. We give out of that into where the spiritual life that's getting poured into us is coming from. And I think I've said this already. Giving releases a multiplication factor for your resources to be increased. And, and this reality is meant to provoke a, a, a joy about parting with cash. Because God loves the hilarious, just short of delirious giver. That's what that word means. God loves a joyful giver. And, and, but, but it's in the context of his love, the delight it gives to him, and the, the grace that it releases to us that actually as we change our worldview and our values to line up with his values, giving becomes a joy, not a chore. Yeah? And the reason it, it 
can, the times when it doesn't feel like a joy is because our values have got misaligned with his values. In his mind, he thinks giving is fun. He thinks it's great. And, and God is a giving God. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. The planet wouldn't be here. Just pours out of him. Creativity, people, salvation, sending his son to die. I mean, he just gives and gives and gives. He's been giving his love all over us this morning. God thinks giving is fun. He gives us food to eat. He gives the birds food to eat. You know, he gives, he just loves to give. It's endless, absolutely endless. So he, he sometimes doesn't understand why it's such a problem to us because he made us like him. And what happens is our values just get misaligned and he's teaching us to line up with our original core values, which are his core values. Um, and it, the, the last point I made was it's okay to start where you are. So for some people, the idea that 10% of all their money belongs to God is like, ah! you know, I've spent it all for the, all, my whole life. Well, just start where you are. Give 1%, 2%, or step out and give 5%. But what you'll find is it becomes possible to do the rest. Yeah because of the blessing that gets released to you. To others, I said, well, try it for three months, because actually what you'll do is you'll never stop. I've been doing this for more than 35 years, and I don't want to stop. I was was thinking about, it's good to hear testimonies, isn't it? I was thinking about when the recession hit. Was it 2008, 2007? It was, yeah, you know, it was pretty painful, wasn't it? And... uh, my goodness, I, I, I was in pain. We, we, various things were happening around us. And we decided that we were going to increase our giving. So we give, so we give uh, at that point we were giving our uh, 10% into the church and then we also gave to the poor on top of that. And our means of doing that was through uh, World Vision. We supported children in different parts of the world that were you know, needing education, food, water, that kind of thing. And uh, we like, things are tough, we're going to give more to the poor. So Teresa phoned up, we did it through World Vision, she phoned them up and said, we want to support two more kids. And they're like, everybody's phoning up and cancelling. We thought this was another one of those phone calls. Uh, and, and, and we just phoned up and, and we supported, we took on two more kids in Africa and that is just such a good thing to do. And I have to say, but our personal income through the recession it's had the strongest season of our lives. I don't think it's disconnected. We own a flat which we need tenants for, and we've had continual tenants for three years. Yeah. This is blessing. This is the blessing of God. And I told you last week that in the last special offering, we'd put in our Christmas savings. And we're like, God, it's got to come back. And then just last week before this special offering, we had a check from our family for six thousand pounds. This 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 seriously seriously works. It's exciting. Um, so <laughs> so we're back to our passage, two Corinthians nine, verse six. I'm going to read it again, and I'm just going to point out. I want to come at some things we didn't get to. Um, this, 
This is kind of the premier passage on giving in the, in the New Testament, so it's worth us spending a bit of time on it. So 2 Corinthians 9 <clears throat> and verse 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as is decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely, he is given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous on every occasion. See, that's the purpose of you being enriched, Amen. is the increase in your generosity. Ooh, glory. It's up there. <laughs> I like technology. Uh, and that will produce thanksgiving to God for the, min- for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing with many thanksgivings to God. Now, I, I, I believe that we are entering a season where we are going to be called upon corporately and individually to handle a lot of money. I'm going to say that again. I believe that we are entering a season where we are going to have an increase in the finances that we are going to handle. God wants to give us resources actually more than we want to get them. I'm going to say that again. God wants to give you resources more than you want to have them. I know that may be hard to believe, um, certainly seasons in my life where my main prayer was, God, I need some more cash. Yeah. Do, do you know, this, you know, bless my kids and bless my family. Give me some money, I'm broke. Yeah. Anybody been through that? I, I've yeah. been through that. When the only item on the menu was cabbage. <laughs> that wasn't a side. That was the main course dessert and starter. All right? So I know what it's like to like, ah! But you know what? He wants to give you resources more than you need them. But he doesn't want to destroy you by giving you. He doesn't want to overwhelm you. He doesn't want to cause you to go in the wrong directions with what he releases to you. Which is why some of the stuff that we're teaching is really important. Because he's looking for places to land his resources that are going to manage it and steward it really, really well. But it's not going to cause us to go in crazy directions, that people who can receive resources and then they're going to be generous with it. They're not going to be hoarders. They understand what their prosperity is for. They understand what their increase is for rather than it's, you know, finally, I can, I can buy that new Jaguar. And actually, money equals power. And so he's looking for our, our things to happen in our hearts so that when we increase in our influence and our power that we exercise that with a, with a loving servant heart and it doesn't, doesn't lure us to... Because money has, has an attraction. 
which is why the, Jesus said you can't love God and money. It's possible to love money. And why in Timothy it says that actually the love of money is the root of all evil. So God wants to release huge resources to us, but he wants hearts that are ready so that they're not allured by and their affections drawn away to the money itself. That they're able to keep their focus and their attention on the giver, not the gift. That, that we're still worshipping him, we're still leaning into him, our dependency is still on him, we're not becoming chasers of resources and finance. Is this making sense? So he doesn't want to destroy you. So he sometimes is just waiting for our hearts to be, in, to be trained to in a place where he can then release more to us in a way that is going to then do us good and we will do others good with what he releases to us. Uh, it's fun going to, to Bethel and seeing a much bigger church influencing a city. And you know, one reason that's happening is because they have massive resources yeah. that actually influence in the economics of their town. Yeah. Uh, and I believe that the church, not just that church, but the church is called to be such an influence in every city. But that requires, in their case, that requires them to actually manage and steward literally millions of dollars. But the outflow of that is that they're the people that clean the bridge because no one else in the city will clean there. They've got this sort of iconic bridge. But they're the people that clean it. They're the people that send out workers to clear, clear whole stretches of woodland that the city owned but can't be used because no one's there to clean it up. But they release people to go and do that in their scores. Then there's more recreation area for the city. They're the people that run the biggest auditorium in the city and have poured money into it to restore it and manage it for the good of the community. That's phenomenal influence for the good of the whole community. And community leaders not in the church are saying, we have hope for our city because of the activity and the energy of, and, the, and the financial clout of this church. Because they have stewarded well, not just before God, but in the sight of their community, the resources that have been released to them. That's our target. That the city of Glasgow would rejoice that Hope Church and many others like us are here and the financial clout that we carry is helping this city be renewed and be restored, etc., etc., etc. So I want to learn right now to handle the little so that we can handle the much. So that we can relieve the poor, we can train families, etc., etc., etc. That we can influence this amazing city with the gospel in every way that that looks. And, and, and I want to say this. We don't talk a lot about evangelism here, but I believe that's because every one of you is an evangelist. Yeah. I believe what's happening here is that we should be coming into this environment to be inspired, equipped, refreshed, to go out into whatever place we are to release the kingdom of God. Yeah. And the outcome of that is that people will come to Jesus. Yeah. My personal target is people come to Jesus yeah. through encountering the goodness of God and the kingdom of God through our lives because they get healed, because they see joy, because they encounter his presence, because they find out that he's good. Yeah. 
And one way we can do that is that as a whole community, we start to release his goodness on a massive scale. Does that sound good? So I just want to look at, if we go back up to, to verse 6, and in, in, in the time we've got left, the, the, I think there's two things going on here. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. The law of sowing and reaping is everywhere. It's not just in the Bible or in the church. Sowing and reaping is built into creation. It's a principle that works. It's, 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 an, it's inevitable. If you sow, you will you will reap. And it's not just about agriculture. It's about all kinds of things. Where you sow bad attitudes, you reap bad attitudes. If you start complaining, you'll receive complaints. You know, if you start judging, you'll be judged. It just, it's all through the Bible. It's all through life. If you start sowing negativity, you're going to reap negativity. If you sow well with your finances, you are going to reap. That is, that is absolute rule of the universe. But there is, there is another reality that trumps sowing and reaping. And I think what he's saying here, <clears throat> if we can go on to the next, next verse, verse 8 actually, I want. And God is able to make all grace to bounty. I actually think grace supersedes or overwhelms even sowing and reaping. Think about the prodigal son. He'd sown... He'd sown, he'd sown wildly. He'd been wasteful. He, he ended up, he gave, he basically lost his inheritance in a short period of time because of foolish choices. Then he comes back to his father, and his father, it, 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 I've been reading this over and over again, he gives him the ring, he also gives him shoes. And, and if you read back into the book of Ruth, actually transactions were made by the giving of a sandal. So a whole field was sold, and it was confirmed by the giving of a sandal. And, and, and other cultural references were saying that the, the ring gave him the right to make transactions. So here's the guy who's wasted it all, lost it all, and he comes back, and the father gives him the opportunity to spend it all again. That is not sowing and reaping. That is grace kicking in. So you may be sitting there thinking, well, I'm in a really tough financial position, you know, but I made some really dumb choices. Well, join the club. I don't think there's anybody in this room who didn't make a dumb choice with their money at some point. And if you are one, I'd like impartation. But I just want to say that as you get involved in this giving thing, it releases a higher principle of grace. That you start to get what you didn't sow. You start to get your debts disappearing, although you got into them foolishly. There's many examples of debt redemption in the Old Testament. You know, the axe head that was borrowed and it flies off and lands in the water. And there's a miraculous salvation of that debt where he throws a twig and the axe head floats. I mean, how does that work? All the physics I did at school does not explain iron floating in water because you throw a twig in. But that's, the, that's grace. That's grace released to your debt. I mean, Jesus, Jesus 
totally bamboozled and confused the people that listened to him because he told a story about uh, 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 someone who was hiring workers for their vineyard. And he went to the marketplace, he found them at the beginning of the day, and he found them at the middle of the day, and then for some reason he found some for the last hour of the day. And then when they comes to pay them, the people who he only worked for, this is, I mean, this is like really bad industrial rea- relations. Because he pays the last ones first, so that all the others can see. So the people who worked an hour get the same money that the people who worked all day was promised. So the people who worked all day thinking, wow, we're going to be really well off here because he's like, they got that for an hour. And they get the same. And the answer is, well, I can be generous with, what I, with my resources. So it's okay. It's not, this is not a sowing and reaping deal. You worked hard, you got what I told you. He worked hard for an hour, and I wanted to give him the same. Go figure. (laughs) Can you see what I'm saying here? Actually, when you start to partner with God, you don't just get the sowing and reaping thing, which is in all of creation. You're starting to let loose the grace of God into your life, where all sorts of unfair things start to happen to you. You get more than you deserve. You get things you don't deserve. You get outrageous, you get the undeserved, outrageous edge. People start calling you lucky. Actually, you're favored. People call you jammy. They call you, you know, you've just got something with money. No, you've just got something with God. And He's got something with money. He knows how to get involved in this realm. He knows how to get you out of the mess you got you into. And he doesn't stand there going, well, I'm going to do it this time. But he doesn't sort of scold you. He just, he just released his favor. It is quite amusing. He said, well, I don't deserve this, God. He said, I just like blessing you. Yeah, but what about the deserving bit? And he's like, I'm just full of grace. I don't do deserving. Well, I don't deserve to be blessed. It makes no difference to him. He's saying he's going to make all grace abound to you. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need. As soon as you start to partner with him in this simple thing of giving and receiving, something gets unlocked to you that is at a level above sowing and reaping simply. Favor gets released to your job, to your home. All kinds of things start to happen that didn't happen before. And some things stop happening that were happening. Now, I'm not using this as an excuse for good steward, not doing good stewardship. But if you know you have had poor stewardship, he can still get you out of it, although you don't deserve it. But that's not a reason to then go on a cap course and, and do it better next time. But what I'm saying is you don't have to deserve the rescue. I'm also saying things can start to happen in your life that are above and beyond what you deserve, what your talents 
uh, qualify you for, etc., etc. Exciting. That's what grace does. It's un- Remember, grace is undeserved favor. So if you're sitting there thinking, I don't deserve it, well, you just qualified for favor. <laughs> I just want to scatter as a board abroad his gifts to the poor his righteousness endures forever the goal of this is not to be the recipient but to be the distributor it's not to be the one with only cabbage for lunch praying that someone will send you a fiver we went through this we were kind of living by faith early early days we were on ministry school and we were like God, meet our needs. We want to, we want to launch out and be, be full of faith. So we, like, we just want to pray in everything. So we literally did. and we, we, Our faith was at this place. Like we, we prayed it in. This was in the 80s, so five pounds was worth it. We prayed it in and we got five quid. So we put two pounds of petrol in the car, which then just got it you know, above the red, and three pounds for food. And then that go, we're like, oh, God, we need some more. And then we get two pounds of petrol and three pounds. We kind of made it. But we hadn't learned what it was to be in the abundant favor of God. But, but we were kind of, we were, we were the poor on the receiving end of people sending us fivers and tenors in the mail. I want to be the person sending the fivers and tenors in the mail. Yeah, the goal is that we, we are the distributors of the abundance to those who have need, the height of spirituality is not being those who, who need it. Do, do, do you see what I'm saying? Now, there are people in ministry situations who need us to be in abundance because the very nature of the thing they're in is that it's a resource-intensive ministry. Yeah. Is that making sense to you? Yeah. But the goal can't be that we are all waiting because we all need some meat to go with our cabbage. That's not the height of spirituality. The goal is that the majority of us are be able to release resources into situations where poverty needs to be relieved, resource-intensive ministry. And so it cannot be true that poverty equals a virtue. And somehow in Christianity, we've made it a virtue. We think Jesus said, blessed are the poor, and actually said, blessed are the poor in spirit. We think that the rich young ruler, when he came to Jesus, and Jesus said, give away all you have, was a a principle applicable to everybody, not just something that applied to him. And so a lot of us can go through our whole Christian lives thinking, well, if I actually had the courage, I should give all my money away, but I don't. And so I'm not. And so I'm somehow lesser than some of these people who managed to do that. I don't think that's a healthy perspective. I don't think it's a biblical perspective. I think it's reading a particular passage in a way that it was never meant to be taken. That rich young ruler's problem was that his money possessed him rather than him owning it. And so Jesus said, this is your issue. For someone else, their issue was attachment to their parents. For someone else, the different issues, he challenged them on their issue. So I just want to break off people in this room that think, I wish I've been a Christian 20 years and, you know, I've just had this gnawing thing that I should have given all my possessions away and it's never going to happen and somehow I'm less 
than a super spiritual saint. That's just a lie. I want you to turn with me uh, to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Because I want to crack this poverty mentality off us. Because it gets in the way of what God wants to do. Yeah, you can do that as well. We've been having one or two issues with our laptop, but there we go. (laughs) If you can't find it on there, find it in your Bible, 1 Timothy 6. The the, the language in in this is really, I think, is really interesting this is Paul writing to Timothy, <clears throat> giving him lots of practical advice. 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19. Because the, the, problem, the problem with what I just described is we elevate having nothing as being the most spiritual state. And we can then, we can then be cynical about people who have stuff. Are, are, you, are you with me? Because if we elevate the most spiritual state as being having no things, then obviously people who have things are a bit suspect. And it's the same as if we elevate having things is spiritual, then everybody who doesn't have, then they're, they're the unspiritual ones. And neither of those things is a biblical place. So 1 Timothy 6, 9, 17 to 19, command, listen, command those who are rich in this present world. So it's really clear. Command people who've got lots of cash. Now, the next thing he says is really important, isn't it? Say something to me. You've gone very quiet. The next thing he says is very important. Command those. Tell them what to do. This is not about their feelings. This is what they should do. If they have loads of money, tell them to be rich in good deeds. And to be generous and to be willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation in the coming age so that they will take hold of the life that is truly life. I'm going to read my version. It's not my personal translation. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So he doesn't say, command the rich to give their riches away as a blanket solution to everyone who has large amount of resources. What he says is don't be arrogant. Don't put your hope in your wealth, which is uncertain. But put your hope in God, who richly provides you with everything for your enjoyment. He's saying it's okay to enjoy what you have. Friday night pizza when they're starving in Africa is okay. (laughs) Eating Christmas dinner 
when there are thousands who don't have shoes is okay. As long as you're not doing nothing about what's out there. Probably, there's two definitions of poverty. One is relative poverty and one is absolute poverty. The Bible deals in absolute poverty. So relative poverty is how they calculate benefits in UK. So if you don't have so many pairs of shoes, you're counted as being in poverty. But absolute poverty means you don't have food, you don't have shoes, and you don't have clean water. And if you've been to those places, you understand poverty is not a blessing. It doesn't make people spiritual. It makes them depressed and sick and they die. I've seen them die because of bad water. That's poverty. By that standard, probably no one in this room, almost no one in Glasgow is actually poor. Most people have a roof over their head, clothes on their back, and they either have food or can find it every day. There are many people on the planet who at best are getting one meal a day, and often it's one meal every other day, and are living on less than a dollar a day. That's absolute poverty. That is not a blessing. Do not aspire to be poor. Proverbs says, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city, but poverty is the ruin of the poor. The I think the Bible is pretty universally negative about being poor. It's just instructive for us to do something to help the poor. And you need to be in a place of resource to help the people who don't have resource. So this instruction to the rich is, you know, don't get puffed up about it. Put your hope in God. Enjoy what you have. But he then says, command them to do good to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the age to come. So this isn't a feelings thing. Oh, I don't fancy being generous. Be generous. You have a lot. It's time to be generous. I don't fancy it today. Well, hard luck. Be generous. There's a lot of people out there who don't fancy the fact that they'd only have one meal a week. Don't lean on your money, no matter how much you have. Trust in God. I rarely have conversations with Bill Johnson, but I had a little conversation with Bill Johnson. And we were in this, there was about 20 of us with, with him. And we were in this rather nice sort of Victorian hotel quite a big sort of rooms and I was like oh this is a grand place he said yeah I was actually with a guy the other day whose house was like this in the UK and he said he was amazing how he'd prospered he said to me he said this guy prays more than me the implication is he's a man who had had some grace on his life for creating wealth but he's where is this guy leaning into God all the way? We need, we need some squillionaires. We need a new billion squillion to do, to change the world for Jesus. 
Enjoy what God's given you. You know, enjoy Pizza Friday, Wine Saturday. Wine Saturday? Wine Friday, Wine Saturday, Wine Sunday. Let the riches equip you to be rich in good deeds and generosity. Don't be afraid of having money or making it. I'm going to say it again. Don't be afraid of having money or making it. I've said this already. Money isn't evil. It's loving it that's bad. I'll say it again. Don't be afraid of having money or making it. Get used to stewarding what you have well. Another plug for the cat money course. And then God is going to give you more. You're going to enjoy kingdom. You're going to enjoy kingdom prosperity because then you'll start to release more for kingdom progress. Aspiring to prosper for kingdom purpose is an honorable thing. And so it's really important that we're not suspicious of people who have money. It has to be okay in a church family environment for there to be people who are doing really, really well, thank you, nicely, and for other people in the room not being suspicious about people who have lots of cash. That's bad. That's judging. You're starting to make assumptions. That's not honor. It has to be possible to create an environment where rich and poor people can live together in one family and there isn't a release of envy and suspicion or condemnation even on those who are poor. This is what this is about. It's it's saying that spirituality is not linked to your material position, whether it's having many, having much or having little. Because God loves everybody equally and favors everybody, and we need to line up with that attitude. It has to be okay to do well in this environment. It has to be. And don't. And there is there is something in our in our wider culture, I think, that that can resent people who do well getting further increase. It's like, well, you know, they. They're already a millionaire. Why do they need another million? Well, they're already on 60K a year. They shouldn't have, they shouldn't have a 5,000 pound rise. I can see some of you like, what's he going to say now? <laughs> I'm going to say this. This is Matthew 25. Take the bag of gold from the one who had one and give it to the one who had five and now has ten. This is heavenomics. This is not socialism, it's not capitalism. 25. <laughs> so the parable of the talents. 
One guy's given five bags of gold, one guy's given two bags of gold, one guy's given one bag of gold. The guy who's given one bag of gold buries it and does nothing. The guy with two bags takes his and works with it and risks it and trades with it and gets two bags more. And the guy with five bags takes it and works with it and invests it and gets five bags more. When, when, when the guy comes back, when the landowner comes back, he says to the guy with one talent, you've been wasteful and you're lackluster, I'm going to take off you, the one you have, and give it to the guy who shows me that he can be a good steward. So the guy with 10 now has 11. Help me, Jesus. That was a really good point. What about that for redistribution of wealth? It's never good that the wealthy should prosper at the expense of the poor. I right, just want to balance this out here. So it's not, that's not what I'm saying. And I don't think that's what the Scripture is saying. What the Scripture is telling us is that God keeps honoring and blessing people who do well at stewarding. And what it says is what Proverbs tells us over and over again, that the lazy, the idle, the drunkards, etc., end up becoming poor. If you snooze, you lose. The hands of the diligent will prosper. It's all over Proverbs. A little resting, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty comes on you like a thief. So you're still happy with me? Okay, we've got to land this thing. So, where, where I want to end is, it's okay to prosper. In fact, I want to say more than that. It's good to believe that God is going to bless you. It's good to believe that He's going to increase your resources. It's good to believe that more finance, more funds are going to come your way as you partner with Him in the matter of giving and receiving. As you partner with Him in His, his economics, as you and I start to give, then we can expect a release of favor on our lives that means that our resources increase for the purpose of that, both feeding us and then we can release more to kingdom advance. And this kind of, this is, actually some of us probably need a sozo. Because our external prosperity is also linked to our internal health. And, and I really want to recommend Steve De Silva's book on Prosperous Soul at, the, at this point. If you've not read it, read it. Because <clears throat> 3 John verse 2 says, Beloved, I pray that you prosper in every way and that you are in health even as your soul prospers. So your internal world creates your external world. And some of the challenges we have in this realm of finance are to do with how we're doing on the inside, not to do with what's happening to us on the outside. So if you believe that there is never going to be enough because you've been raised in a poverty environment and you were never properly provided for, you can carry with you your whole life a conviction 
that there's always going to be lack. And that will shape the way you deal with money and resources and the way you look at other people. And it can produce in you a whole poverty spirit which will trap you for the rest of your life. It needs to be broken because you're in touch with a heavenly dad who supplies all that we need and with whom there's always enough. That's the reality about him. But we can have got raised in environments where that's not true. And I've had to have ministry on this very point. So I'm just not talking to you theory here. I'm like, my goodness, I'm scared there won't be enough. That's not because I'm in touch with Heavenly Father. That's something to do with my history. That needed to be just renewed inside of me, in here. Some of us don't think we're worthy of getting blessed. I've preached the whole message on this. You are worthy of all God's blessings. If you think that's unbiblical, pull the message off the website. Some of us think that wealth and blessing always passes us by. It's time to get a pole with a hook on the end and start snagging some for you. Some of the goodies is targeted at you, but you just think, if you have a poverty mentality, you sometimes don't pick up what you even meant to pick up. It's like it's got your name on it. Love God. You're like, oh, I couldn't possibly be worthy of that. And it kind of floats on by. 